Hello, and welcome to the um, webinar for WAM Capital, WAM Microcap, WAM Research, and WAM Active. My name is Jeff Wilson, and before I start, I'd just like to acknowledge that I am on the traditional lands of the Gubby Gubby people, and I pay my respects to elders past, present, and future. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us. The, the, what will be, I will be giving a, a summary of the results for WAM, WAX, WA, and WMI. Um, then we'll be joined by the lead portfolio manager of that group, Oscar Oberg, also portfolio manager Tobias Yao, senior equity analyst Sean Week, and equity analyst Sam Kosh will also uh, be involved. And, and what we're going to do is ask them you know, a little later on you know, if, if they had a bit of money, where they'd like to invest it. So um, you know, let, let's hope um, we can some, create some additional value uh, for yourselves. Then what we'll be doing is we'll open up for Q&A. Uh, remember, these companies are your companies. We're only here because you allow us to do what we really enjoy doing. Uh, and Olivia Harris, our Corporate Affairs Officer, uh, she will be running uh, the questions and answers today. I'll just give you a little bit of summary of those four entities, um, of how they performed over the year to June last year. Um, in terms of the reason why we group this, these entities is what we're, when we're investing in these for these companies, we're looking to buy undervalued growth companies and we're looking to buy them when we can see a catalyst that's going, going to, will, that will change the valuation of that company. Um, also, um, and we'll sit in cash until we can find that. While we're sitting in cash, we do look at more short-term trading opportunities. Um, effectively, there's broadly two pools of capital. It's the research part, you know, mids and large, sorry, mid, mid and small caps um, and micro caps uh, and, and the trading opportunities. So it's undervalued growth companies in the mid, small and micro cap sector is what we'll be talking about today. The largest of ours, and you know, we probably internally you know, talk, you know, call it you know, the mothership, WAM Capital, which was our first listed investment company, you know, floated 21 odd years ago at a dollar. Um, you know, the, that had a, a very strong uh, year last year. Uh, and the portfolio, this is before fees. Now, if you want to see the total share on return, look at our announcement. Or if you want to see what the NTA did, um, then look at our, yeah, we've got the details in the announcement. But the, you know, trying to work out how the manager performed versus the index, um, you know, we like to look at, you know, the portfolio before expenses, uh, that was up 37.5%. So a strong outperformance of the all odds uh, and, and the small odds over that period. And because of that performance, then we could keep the dividend, you know, at the levels that has been historically. Uh, and again, we're paying you a, a, a very high fully frank dividend yield of 15.5 cents, you know, for the full year. Uh, when microcap, sort of a newer, um, uh, new one, one of our LICs, you know, that had a just a stunning uh, 12 months. And I just, you know, on behalf of myself being a shareholder and I'm sure everyone else on the call, all those shareholders, look, you know, thank you, you know, Oscar, Tobias, you know, Sean and Sam and the rest of the team back at Wilson Asset Management because, you know, really, when Microcap had a vintage year, you know, the portfolio... I uh, was up you know, a little over 53%, and that was you know, strong outperformance of the small odds, you know, about 20% outperformance. And because of that, you know, then um, the, there was, you know, the board was in a position to reward shareholders you know, by giving them a, a special dividend on top of the final dividend. And so the total dividends for the 12-month period you know, amounted to you know, 12 you know, sense of share, and 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 and, it, and you know, it, uh, a micro has got a, a nice, um, you know, strong profit reserve. 
In terms of WAM research, really a, a, an extremely strong year for WAM research, and that's really you know, focuses on buying the undervalued growth companies and buy them when there's a catalyst that's going to change the valuation. The, 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 uh, and that was up 45-odd percent, a little over 45%, the portfolio, in terms of and allowed a slight increase in dividend, and the dividend was 9.9 cents for the year. Um, and the the fourth of the listed investment companies we'll be talking about today, WAM Active, uh, had a, a a solid year. You know, the portfolio is up 26.8% you know, um, and allowed a six cent um, fully frank dividend for the uh, period. What I'd like to do now, I'd just like to you know, really, you know, this has, it's been a, a very strong year. Um, Oscar, I'd like to, as lead portfolio manager, I'd just like to you know, ask you a question. Um, you know, how did you perform? You know, and how, did you, how were you able to outperform by that amount um, over the last 12 months? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. And look, uh, firstly, I'd like to thank all of our shareholders for all their support, you know, particularly um, over the last year and a half. We've had a number of you know, uh, calls, emails um, supporting us, so really appreciate it from, on behalf of the team. Also, I'd like to apologise for my attire. Um, I, I actually came down to the south coast a few days before the New South Wales lockdown, so I've only got one collared shirt, so the best I can do is a flannelette shirt, so I apologise for that. Um, hopefully next time a little bit better. But um, to answer your question, Jeff, um, look, we were very happy with how we performed over the year. Um, really, the, the, the performance was, uh, I think, uh, across both funds really, was was cemented probably in the first four, four months of the financial year. Uh, we had a number of e-commerce, retail and healthcare companies such as Templar Webster, Helios um, and, um, and Adairs that performed very well over that time as we were in the worst of the lockdowns. And then what happened in November was there was the announcement of the vaccine. And I think that took everyone by surprise and both our portfolios took a hit in that period. But the team did very well at really bunkering down and looking at some sectors that we thought would perform very well with the vaccine and reopening economies. And we really did focus here on the United States and the United Kingdom. And this was largely because these two regions were the most hit the hardest really through coronavirus and they were accelerating their vaccine rollout. So we looked at companies such as Virgin Money UK, uh, Pendle, Reliance, City Chic, um, and these companies really did well for us over the February reporting season and continued on really through to the August reporting season where both funds, thankfully, have had, have had a pretty good reporting season. Um, in terms of how we're looking forward, and I think that's probably most important where we are now, we do actually see a, a very intriguing inflection point in the market. Um, we think that's coming in the next one to two months, and that's largely because despite the fact we're seeing cases in New South Wales and Victoria go to you know, very high levels, the reality is we are getting vaccinated very, very quickly and faster than anyone had actually uh, previously thought. So we do think see a reopening of borders as likely coming into Christmas and we've positioned the portfolio accordingly. So we've got uh, quite high exposures in sectors such as tourism, uh, construction, building materials, and these are the, the sectors that have been impacted the most over the last couple of months because of the Sydney and, and Melbourne lockdowns. Conversely, we've sold down a lot of our exposures in, in more defensive or a COVID beneficiary, let's call it, sectors such as technology, uh, healthcare, e-commerce, and, and also selected retail stocks. So look, it's still very positive on the market um, over the next 12 months. Cash levels are sitting at 12 to 13%, uh, which is pretty consistent with what they have been over the last 12 months. Um, liquidity levels are high, but yeah, very, very positive on, on the year ahead. No, look, thank you very much, Oscar. And and we all know, you know, that, that bull markets climb a wall of worry. And uh, the, you know, what, what does worry me all the time <laughs> is just, you know, the, the performance we've seen you know, from these equity markets. And, um, yeah, but look, thank you on behalf of all shareholders. You've done a, an exceptional job. And, and just with that, you know, um, wham, microcap, you know, raised money a little while ago. And maybe I'll, I'll go to Tobias here. And when we raised that additional money, we um, you know, clearly stated to shareholders that we're looking to, you know, use some of that money to invest in pre-IPOs. Tobias, can you just take us through a little bit of 
you know, what's been happening in that area? Yes, uh, thanks, Jeff, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, as Jeff mentioned last year, uh, we were fortunate, uh, thanks to our shareholders, to raise money within the WAM uh, microcap structure, you know, to pursue these pre-IPO opportunities. Uh, as a refresher, another reason was because we saw a shift in the market where more and more companies were going down the uh, pre-IPO route to de-risk their IPO journey. At the same time, you know, it's advantageous for investors like us, as it gives us more time to do our due diligence, understand the company, the management team, uh, and, and the industry better, and have more conviction to further back these businesses uh, during the formal IPO process. Now, in our view, our advantage is that because we haven't specifically raised a pool of capital just for pre-IPOs, it means we do not feel the pressure to have to deploy that capital. And as a result, we can be a lot more selective uh, in, in what we choose to invest. Now, we have invested in 10 pre-IPO deals, four of which have listed, and you know we're very pleased with the outcome so far. Out of the remaining investments in the portfolio are RS Energy, which is a Bitcoin miner, is the largest one, and that's looking to list at the end of the year. You know, that could material, uh, be quite material to the portfolio. Um, and just to finish off, you know, there continues to be a very healthy pipeline of deals that's coming through, uh, and the team has been very busy meeting with these companies. Now, look, thank you, Tobias. And um, what I, I think when people bring on to these calls, they want to get a bit of an idea of, what's where the market's going but you know they they also would like to know what everyone has you know what stocks you know, are showing exceptional value or, or you believe are undervalued growth companies and you can see a catalyst is going to change the valuation maybe um why don't we why don't we go through uh yeah maybe um sean i'll start with yourself um and then maybe sean sam Tobias and Oscar, you can um, you know you can you know, just present what what you think is a good buying opportunity at the moment. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Good afternoon, everyone. And um, yeah, I apologise in advance about the um, the birds chirping in the background up here on North Coast New South Wales. Um, yes, yeah, so, so my stock pick for today is IPH Group, which is the leading intellectual property services group in Asia-Pacific, servicing over 25 countries. Uh, we originally invested in the IPO in 2014 at $2.10 per share, with the key attraction being really the consolidation of the mature Australian-New Zealand market, while at the same time the company was expanding aggressively into higher-growth Asian markets. The stock was trading around $10.50 at, at the onset of the pandemic and was sold off on concerns over a slowdown in global patents. So we began accumulating the stock uh, in May of this year, around $6.50 per share, with our research really pointing to a rebound in R&D spend, which you know, we expected to support an uptick in patent filing trends, along with an easing in the significant uh, US dollar currency headwinds the company had faced. So in recent presentations, management have also highlighted a desire to pursue further acquisitions, this time targeting new secondary markets such as Canada, which provides a potential near-term catalyst for the business. IPH's management team are very well regarded. They've got a proven track record of executing earnings, accretive acquisitions and extracting significant synergies. So we believe an acquisition in Canada would enable IPH to, I guess, replicate its success in the ANZ region and consolidate the market that is approximately 1.3 times larger than Australia. So this really does underpin a solid medium-term growth outlook for the business. We think the stock's got around 15% upside on current fundamentals before acquisitions are considered. So, yeah, this is one that, that we like at the moment. No, thanks. Thanks, Sean. And, and I like the catalyst there too. Let's, um, let's hope it. And I do love that. I do love that painting. Is that, is that one of your works? <laughs> I wish Jeff, my creative skills are hopeless. That's actually the uh, that's the Bellingen Valley, which is where I am, oh, mid North New South Wales. So, yeah, beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Great. Hey, Matt, thank you, thank you, Sean and Sam. What what have you? What stock have you got up your sleeve there? Thanks, Jeff. Um, our next high conviction idea is Swoop, a fixed wireless telecommunications provider. Its ticker is SWP. 
Swoop competes with the NBN by offering greater speeds and greater service in underserved areas. They're rapidly developing a full service offering, which will result in greater utilization of their network and really underpins our estimates of 10 to 15% organic revenue growth and 1 to 2% margin expansion over the next few years. We liken it to a mini unity group, ticker UWL, which has a market cap of over $3 billion and Swoop's only at $300 million at this stage. The catalyst is deploying their balance sheet into accretive acquisitions into a highly fragmented market. Okay, just hope, yeah, hope they can hope they can meet those catalysts. That's it. <laughs> and and Tobias, what have you got? What have you got for us? I mean, actually, actually, what yeah, have so, you got? Uh, Tobias, before I know, reading reading the afterpay book. Yeah, uh, I can't remember exactly what page you were mentioned on, but uh, congratulations on. I think at one of our presentations we a number of years ago we suggested that to uh, shareholders. Well, well done, Tobias, on that. But yeah, so will will this stock be as rewarding as Afterpay? Have I scared you off, Tobias? That's a big build up. <laughs> Tobias. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, probably not as rewarding, but uh, it's, it's going to be very rewarding in any case, in my view. Um, so, look, my, my top pick is Ardent Leisure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've, we've spoken about this idea over the last uh, six months uh, and uh, Ardent. It's, fortunately, it's performed well, um, up 50% during the most... Uh, a recent reporting season, you know, we still believe there is further upside uh, without a leisure, driven by the continued momentum in the US uh, with their main event entertainment centers, uh, which is going very strong. So July and August this year, they're, they're doing uh, same store sales growth of more than 25% versus FY19 uh, in a pre-COVID um, environment. You know, um, at the same time, over the next six months, like all of our other reopening trades, we believe domestic tourism uh, will flourish, which will benefit Ardent's Australian assets being uh, Dreamworld and Skypoint, and hopefully, you know, that's before Christmas. So in terms of catalyst, we think this business can continue to eke out uh, earnings upgrades over time, uh, and, and we think the sum of parts valuation continues to be very uh, appealing, and I think uh, there's another 40% upside to the current share price. Oh, thanks, Oscar. I, I think we all like the idea of that. And uh, sorry, thanks, Tobias. We all, uh, I, I was a bit knocked off balance with um, with Tobias as, as initially when he obviously a few technical problems when he came on. There was some some head there, <laughs> which wasn't his. Anyway, Oscar, like what what have you got up your sleeve? Yeah, Jeff, thanks for that. Um, yeah, the company we, we quite like, another tourism-exposed uh, company's Event Entertainment's been around for over 100 years and has a portfolio of well-known brands such as QT and Ridges Hotels, the Threadbow Ski Resort, and also Event Cinemas. So we've, we've owned the business for a while. We first uh, purchased shares back in May 2020. It's done very well for us. But like as we saw with a number of uh, travel and tourism-exposed stocks, the share price began to fall around May and June when the lockdowns in, in Melbourne and Sydney uh, began to occur. Now, it was at that point we did a lot of work around events balance sheet, and in particular, the $2 billion of property that was on the, on the events balance sheet at the time. And the, the major catalyst that we saw at the upcoming August result was the fact that we thought that property was undervalued and would have a property uh, revaluation would go up in value. Now, why that was important at that time was effectively we calculated that the property was worth $12 a share, which was the current share price. And that what that meant was we were getting the operating business which is a bit, which is effectively it's cinemas, it's hotels, it's Threadbow Ski Resort that used to do over $100 million of, of earnings before COVID began. We are getting that all that for free. Now, thankfully, the catalyst did play out at the result. Uh, the, the property did get revalued up. Share price has gone up as a result. But what we think has changed is we think this, this business is going to have a materially lower cost base going forward, and we think we'll earn more money than what it did pre-COVID for its operating businesses. So now very bullish the stock. Uh, I think it can get over twenty dollars a share, which is around thirty percent upside. No, thanks for that, Oscar. And, and obviously, they're the they're the stocks that you've looked at, and, and you think are you know, you know they're good undervalued growth companies with catalysts. And, you, and you've 
articulated all that. Can we sort of go through you know, maybe in the same order um, and just, you know, obviously we've got a portfolio of, um, of companies in, in, in each of the LICs that we're talking about today. Uh, what about some of the ones that sort of haven't done as well over the, maybe over the more recent times? And um, do we, oh, actually, well, I've got you, Oscar. Do we start with, let's go that way, Oscar. Why don't we go backwards? Oh, you shouldn't start. You should, shouldn't start with me, Jeff. I don't get anything wrong. <laughs> no, <laughs> we, we all know. We all know how what a great humble of the market is. And I know that's right. Oh so, no, uh, that's yeah. for sure. And that's right. If you're feeling comfortable, always something comes out left field. Look, um, look. My gift, as I like to call it, to the portfolio is uh, Costa Group. Uh, it's a really good business. Um, basically, I owns a whole heap of farms, berry farms, avocado farms, smarter farms across Australia. Um, it, it suffered over the last two years from chronic drought. And so we bought the shares thinking we would see tailwinds from lower water prices and improving yields across their farms. Now, and we thought there was earnings upgrades. That was the key catalyst. Now, unfortunately, it got to the May AGM and we saw earnings downgrades, not upgrades. So we did exit the stock. We took a hit on it. Um, we exited around $3.30 a share. We actually think it's around $3 a share now. We actually think it looks interesting again. So we're doing the work on it. Great. And uh, Tobias, we did you, you probably get 100% right as well, but were there, were there any that mightn't have lived up to expectations? You can let us yeah. in on. No, not quite. Just, yeah, so this one's uh, buy one, get one free. You've made two mistakes on the same uh, same company in a very short period of time. Uh, the one for me is uh, the API Pharmaceuticals which is a distributor to pharmacies and runs the Priceline pharmacy chain, as well as the uh, Clearskins uh, laser clinics. You know, our initial view was coming out of the lockdowns, you know, these, these guys should benefit immensely uh, in terms of the recovery in retail and the laser clinic side should be firing and, and the valuation was very appealing. Uh, unfortunately, I missed the magnitude of the weakness in the CBD stores, which didn't recover as quickly as the suburban store. So they had an earnings downgrade. And now, you know, we cut our losses and probably lost around um, 10 to 15%, uh, you know, uh, as part of that initial investment. Uh, unfortunately, a few days after we sold out, West Farmers uh, made a takeover offer for the entire business. So so we made, uh, so we missed out on the, on the upside. Um, I guess the lesson there um, is perhaps we were a little bit early in terms of getting into the stock and didn't size the investment position properly. Gotcha. No, thanks. Uh, and uh, Sam, what did you have? Any any stocks that you know, frustrated you over the last little period? Yeah, definitely. There's always the odd stock, Jeff. Um, thanks for your question. One stock that um, underperformed <laughs> was EML Group. We owned EML Group as a reopening trade. So sales within their gift card program were recovering as economies were reopening and foot traffic was recovering to malls around the world. However, in May, a left-field risk happened with the, uh, the company encountering regulatory issues within PFS, a recent acquisition that they'd made. The outcome caused us to reassess the risk-reward within this payments business and also to reevaluate re how well management had done their DD on the acquisition as well. So we ended up exiting the position shortly afterwards. No, thanks. Thanks, Sam. And I mean, as you'd be aware, I know we've got disclaimers on our presentations. You know, this is we can't give individual advice. This is general advice, uh, and and we're just trying to give you a bit of flavour of how we invest your money. Uh, and, and Sean, do you just want to? Have you got anything um, you'd you'd like to confess? To... Uh, confession season, Jeff, my um, my favourite. Um, yeah, I mean, one for me, which, um, you know, it's been, I guess, a poor recent performer's Evolve Education. So it's a childcare centre operator across Northern Australia. Um, the company raised equity in April, um, but has experienced COVID-related delays in deploying this into acquisitions. And then, I guess, to compound matters further, um, there was a trading update released in June um, with FY21 earnings downgraded due to, I guess, COVID-related impacts on occupancy and labour. Um, so, I mean, this has resulted, I guess, in some of these newer investors to the register 
who, who joined in the recent capital raising losing faith and selling stock, um, which can get pretty ugly in something that's a liquid. Um, but we actually haven't, um, you know, given up and we, we remain believers. So aside from the normalisation, the COVID impacts, like we believe there's a potential um, breakup play here to unlock hidden value in the stock. And we do note that private equity have been uh, very active in the space recently. So in a normalised environment, we believe uh, the New Zealand business alone can generate around $22 million of earnings. And, the, and recent acquisitions such as Affinity um, Childcare have seen multiples up to 10 times earnings played. So that would imply, you know, potential proceeds that could, uh, I think, you know, materially exceed the current market cap of the business of $115 million. This then leaves the Australian centres, which you're getting for free, and we believe they can generate, you know, five to six million in earnings. The balance sheet's net cash and the expected sales proceeds, you know, we would think would be applied to acquisitions in Australia or return to shareholders. So, yeah, we think there's a, a deep value play in this one now. Hey, let's let's hope it is. Sometimes it's, I, I know the boys were talking about before, you know, one of the good things is when you make a mistake, <laughs> cut your positions, but, but you know, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and, that's right. As as Tobias said, uh, that maybe on API, you know, just just a little bit early uh, selling. So yeah, let's let's hope that does play out, Sean. What what we'd like to do now is open up for questions on the webinar. Now we've already had some people that have sent questions in, and I'd now like to pass to our corporate affairs advisor Olivia Harrison. You know, she'll take us through the question period. Thanks very much, Jeff, and thanks to everybody for joining us today on the webinar. Uh, we do have more than a thousand people online, so we're going to try to get through as many questions as we can. Um, and you know, like Jeff always says, just write into us or give us a call if we don't answer your question, um, and we'll try to get back to as many of you as we can. Um, Oscar, the first one is for you from Rachel. Um, so she mentioned that she saw an article where Wilson Asset Management was mentioned as making one of those pre-IPO investments in Iris Energy. Can you make um, can you make any comment on that? Yeah, thanks for the question, Rachel. And um, yeah, it's it's always good about telling our shareholders about our investment in a Bitcoin miner when the Bitcoin price was down seventeen percent last night. But you are right; we do we do own a small shareholding in our microcap fund in a, in a company called Iris Energy. Now, we first bought shares or participated in the first pre-IPO capital raising uh, back in December of, of 2020, and the business itself was valued at um, a valuation of around $60 million, and the Bitcoin price was just um, a little bit less than 20000 Now, obviously, as we, uh, what we've seen over this time is the Bitcoin price has more than doubled, and uh, Iris Energy is currently proposing a capital raising at the moment uh, that will value the company between $800 million and $1.5 billion. Uh, in terms of what the company does itself, it, it's effectively a provider. It, it, it uh, provides infrastructure to conduct Bitcoin mining, and it does it in the most cost-efficient and most energy-efficient um, uh, manner, uh, which means it has the lowest cost of production in the industry. So this is one of the key reasons why we like the business, why we think it has a competitive advantage over a number of its listed competitors that are already listed on the NASDAQ. In terms of a, you know, a, a real reason to buy the stock, it largely came from uh, its management team and board. Now, uh, these guys have extensive experience in building infrastructure uh, businesses through their time at, at Macquarie and Palisade. And in fact, the CEO and chairman of Iris Energies, the previous CEO and CFO of a listed or top 100 ASX company called Duet, uh, that was a, that was actually taken over a few years ago. So we've got a very high-quality ma management team and board. Now, Tobias touched on it earlier. The business is looking to IPO uh, on the NASDAQ in the December quarter, and so we are eagerly anticipating that to occur. But, look, as we've seen last night, the Bitcoin price is highly, highly volatile. Um, as I said before, it's a very small position in the fund. Um, look at, but if it does if it does come off at that valuation, look, we'll be very happy, but it's certainly something we're not getting excited about at, at this point in time. Thanks very much, Oscar. And Tobias, the next question is for you from Stuart. Um, what are your current views on e-commerce players? Thanks, Stuart. 
Um, we are very selective in the e-commerce space. We currently only have Templin Webster in the portfolio. Um, you know, we believe that not all e-commerce e companies are created equal. Um, the key thing that attracts us to Templin Webster uh, is that during the June quarter, which didn't have any lockdown impacts, they were able to do almost 30% in revenue growth while comping you know, over 120% of revenue growth from this time last year uh, when everything was in a lockdown. Now, obviously, in the short term, they're benefiting from the current lockdowns, but our view is that over the long term, they can continue to, to uh, gain market share and, and then disrupt the entire uh, home and furniture space um, and continue have to have that elevated revenue growth up between, say, 30 and 50 percent over the next few years. Thanks very much, Tobias. And Oscar, uh, back to you. We've got a question from Joe. Um, and quite a few people have asked this question. Um, can you just give us the latest update on Meyer? Yeah, thanks, Olivia. Thanks, Joe, for the question. And I knew it was coming. It's one of my favourite topics. Um, but look, in, in all seriousness, like, we're very happy with how the Meyer management uh, team has really performed over this period, which has in, been incredibly tough for the business. Um, if you look at the second half of, of their results that they achieved that was recently announced to the market, it was actually the first time in four years, I think, that the business actually generated profitability in the second half of the year. If we looked at the earnings update, um, the, the earnings update was uh, highlighting for their full year result that they do between 47 and $51 million in terms of profit. That was, I think, about three times higher than the nearest was uh, out there from, from, from analysts. And the balance sheet, as we've been saying all along, was very, very rock solid um, with over $100 million of net cash. So, look, obviously things are tough for them at the moment, like any other retailer. Um, you know, their stores in, in Sydney and Melbourne are, are closed or in New South Wales and Victoria are closed. Um, their online business would be doing well as a result. But I think that second half um, run rate that we saw uh, in their trading update gives you gives confidence that what this business can achieve in a normal environment. Now, in terms of Premier, um, look, we're very happy that Premier has been buying shares in Maya. They could, they could have conversed and sold. Um, so we're very happy that they've been buying and we think they see value like we do. But I think most importantly, we view Premier as probably the best uh, retailer in Australia led by Solomon Liu. So any help or assistance they can give uh, Maya, we think would be positive uh, for Maya. So look, we're, we're, we're positive where Premier are at in terms of their shareholding and um, you know, I think the positive for us, I should say, is that, you know, we've been talking about this for a number of years now, but, you know, we're actually making money on our initial investment. So that all, that's always a good sign. So, look, um, just need to get out of these lockdowns. And I think, you know, the, the future looks bright for the business. Thanks very much, Oscar. And, Jeff, uh, we have a question for you from Bruce. Will there be any dilution of WAM Active's profits reserve as a result of the options being expired? Being exercised, apologies. Gotcha, being exercised, yeah. Thanks, Olivia. Yep. Um, and thanks, Bruce. The, I mean, effectively, with any option issue, um, when if, if the options, you know, shareholders get the options, well, the ones we do is they get the options at no cost, uh, and then it's up to the shareholder if they want to exercise those options and turn those options into shares. Now... By actually just having the option issue, it doesn't dilute your profit reserve. It's if anyone exercises those options and turns them into shares, now then it would dilute the profit reserve. Now, obviously, the share price has to be above the option price you know, for that to occur. Uh, and, you know, the WAM, uh, the, the WAM active option issue is, is a one-for-one -one option issue. So... Yeah, effectively, yeah, initially, when that money is, uh, when those options are exercised, it, it effectively halves the profit reserve. Um, what you hope as a manager, that, that new money, we can actually um, perform uh, and build up the profit reserve on the additional money that comes in from the option exercise. So that's, that's broadly how it works. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks very much, Jeff. And uh, the next question is for Sam, and this is from Annette. Are you still positive on travel companies despite uh, the Delta variant impacting the sector? 
Thanks, Olivia, and thanks, Annette. Um, we are still positive on some select travel companies despite the Delta variant um, impacting the sector. And the view that we're taking is that there are some travel companies out there that will come out of the pandemic stronger than what they actually entered the pandemic in. Two examples of this, one is, is Webjet. So Webjet has an online travel agency business, which has been taking share from Flight Center and Hello World during this period that predominantly run brick and mortar um, a distribution model. And then the other example would be corporate travel, which has, in our view, permanently lowered their cost base and also utilised its strength of its balance sheet to acquire underperforming companies. So happy with those. Thanks very much, Sam. Um, and Sean, the next question is for you from Bill. Um, what are your views on the global supply chain issues and its impact on companies in Australia? Um, what do you anticipate the situation to look like in the near future? Thanks, Olivia, and uh, thanks, Bill. Really good question, um, something we're certainly very focused on at the moment. Um, I mean, yeah, the supply chain issues are a challenge for corporates globally, um, and we're seeing the impacts of varied across sectors. Um, extended lead times, you know, elevated shipping costs really were a consistent theme throughout the most recent reporting season. You know, with shipping rates increasing five to ten times versus pre-COVID levels. So within the portfolio, we've focused on companies with robust supply chains and, you know, what we perceive to have sufficient pricing power to pass through these costs and offset any potential margin pressures. So we do think these challenges are likely to persist in the near term, but we are cautiously optimistic on you know, easing COVID-relating impacts, which, which should drive incremental improvement. There's also been a number of positive developments um, we've seen recently. You know, the Chinese state media reporting that the government's stepping in to assist with the, I guess, deep bottlenecking of shipping capacity. The return of airline capacity globally will also ease some of these pressures. So, you know, to summarise for us, it's definitely something we're watching, but, um, you know, we <laughs> think... We're positioned within the portfolio, these uh, issues and risks are manageable. Thanks very much, Sean. Um, and Oscar, we'll go back to you for a second. Mark has asked, how defensive is the portfolio, all of the portfolios at the moment, actually? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Really good question. Um, I would say in terms, if you had a look at the, the stocks that we're invested in, we probably aren't defensive. And what I mean by that is we're in... Um, if you think about what I was talking about before and how we're positioning the portfolio, I'm talking about WAM Capital. We really think we're going to um, sectors will benefit as states reopen. So I'm thinking cyclical sectors, which are generally more risky. So that's like tourism, uh, construction, uh, building materials. So that is where our portfolio, um, the vast majority of the stocks in the portfolio, are weighted towards. Defensive sectors such as technology or um, healthcare, um, we really do have a low exposure to. But if we you talk about maybe cash levels and liquidity, which I think might be what we, we the question's coming from, cash levels are low, so they're at 12 to 13% relative to history. Uh, obviously, history would have been a lot, a lot higher than that. But the key is liquidity. Um, now, Effectively, I had a look um, this morning just before the call because I thought I'd get asked on it, but effectively we could liquidate 87% um, of the shares that we own within WAM Capital within the next 30 days if we wanted to. And I had a look. That's probably the, the highest that ratio has ever been um, for us. So we're actually very confident. Um, so all that means is we've been investing at the larger end of the small caps or in the mid-cap space where liquidity is high. So if things do change, if our view changes and we get something get negative on the market, we can go to cash quickly. And I think we did prove that through um, the, when the, the, the onset of the pandemic in FY20, where we went from, I think it was 15% cash to almost close to 40% cash in the space of two weeks. So, um, look, as I said before, it's still very positive the market um, and, and, and positive the outlook going forward at this stage. And, and, then, and then, Oscar, on that, in terms of WAM Capital as, as just an example, um, and, and you, know, you said how you... Yeah, increased to forty percent cash, and then what did you, what did, what was the lowest cash level that WAM Capital got to over the last period? Now, the since... Oh, the lowest cash level would probably be around ten percent into reporting season. Ten percent cash. Ten percent cash. Yeah, oh, didn't we get down to a couple of percent cash back? Um, the... Oh, yeah, you know, well, we, well, we did, but we remember our Mason. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah so we went, we went to, well, effectively, yeah, we went to, we went to two or three percent cash. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I was just more on the headline figure. I know because, yeah, sure. I mean, I know we were getting questions around that time. Everyone saying, oh, you've changed how you invest. You've only got two or three percent cash. We knew we had, we made a takeover bid for Mason. We knew that eventually a Mason would sit in the cash. But yeah, just, just, um, you know, so the cash level does go up and down. Thanks very much, Oscar and, and Jeff, for that. Um, Tobias, the next question is for you from Barry. Um, so we've just come out of reporting season in August. Can you talk about any of the weaknesses that you saw across the equity market in the recent reporting season? Yep, thanks for the question. Um, look, a lot of the domestic retailers and contractors that were impacted by the extended lockdown, uh, lockdowns in New South Wales and then Victoria were impacted. Uh, companies that were impacted by some of the supply issues that Sean elaborated on earlier. Um, on the on the other side, you know, companies that came out and articulated their longer-term growth profile um, benefited during the most recent recession, and those companies saw a very positive move uh, in terms of their share price. Thanks, Tobias. And um, Oscar, the next question is for you from Elizabeth. What are some of the current factors that you consider to be risks right now in the equity market? Yeah, look, thanks, Elizabeth. It's always funny, like, you, you know, you'll say what the risks are, but it'll always be something left field that gets you, as COVID was, you know, a year and a half ago. But look, the, the biggest risk we see at the moment, and it's consistent across every company we, we meet, is inflation. Um, whether it be, you know, rising commodity prices, like even coal prices are at record highs right now. Um, you know, freight is a really big issue at the moment in China. And also we're starting to see labour, labour costs being an issue. I mean, there hasn't been much immigration into Australia over the last couple of years. If you think about Western Australia and the borders closed, it's very hard to find find people to get to work on mines. So that is that is a big issue. But I think what we've seen over this period is, you know, the domestic economy and the global economy has just been so strong. So a lot of these uh, inflationary uh, pressures have actually been passed on to the end consumer and, and you know, demand is very strong right now. So, look, it, we think at the moment it's evenly balanced um, with inflationary pressures, but it is something we are constantly watching because that is something that could change really quickly. Um, I think generally with the market, though, and why we're positive is I think yeah, while I guess, um, you know, the vaccinations are working, clearly COVID cases are increasing with the Delta variant globally. And as we go into the Northern Hemisphere summer, Northern Hemisphere winter, um, we do think central banks and, and governments will be nervous and we don't think we'll start seeing, you know, whether it be quantitative easing tapering or, 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 or interest rates um, going up through this period. So we do think in that environment, it'll actually be very positive for equities. And the market, so we actually think the next six to twelve months could be could again be can be a very good good time. Thanks very much for that, Oscar. Um, Sam, the next question is for you from Vikram. What are your current thoughts on Dusk Group, which was mentioned as a stock pick in your Wham Vault series? Thanks, Olivia, and thanks for the question, Vikram. <clears throat> we continue to like Dusk which we believe has all the characteristics of an undervalued growth retailer that we're attracted to. It has a large domestic rollout opportunity with excellent store level economics, gross margin expansion and offshore growth optionality in the UK and also New Zealand. Whilst the pandemic is a challenge in the short term, the share price already reflects that in our view. Trading on 10 times earnings versus peers at over 25 times the catalyst for us to narrow that valuation gap is really executing on that store rollout and pursuing growth offshore. Thanks very much, Sam. Um, and Sean, the next question is for you from George. Are there any reopening opportunities present um, in companies such as O Media or United Malt Group? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Levin. Thanks very much for the, uh, for the question. Uh, yeah, I mean, United Malt Group, I mean, so the company is the, the world's fourth largest independent commercial maltster. So it's servicing the global brewing and distilling industry. Uh, we do think it is an attractive way, um, I guess, to play the reopening theme, given the leverage it does provide to a recovery in beer consumption vol volumes in the key North American and European markets. So 
UMG derives around 50% of its earnings from the craft beer sector, um, with over 70% of craft beer consumed on-premise pre-COVID. I mean, demand's clearly been heavily impacted by those venue closures. So, you know, we think with the reopening of bars and restaurants, you know, the return of events, this should provide tailwinds for malt uh, demand and beer consumption. Uh, and we believe the craft brewers are well-placed to continue to gain market share. You know, given the level of innovation that's taken place throughout the pandemic, pandemic sorry, in terms of how they get their product to market. Uh, the recent trading update did highlight the recovery won't be uh, completely linear in nature, I suppose. But, you know, with increasing vaccination rates, there's light at the end of the tunnel now. And the market does appear to be willing to look through, you know, some of these shorter term COVID induced impacts and focus on a normalised earnings base. So, I mean, looking into FY23-24, you know, we believe there's capacity for earnings in this business to double from the current cyclical lows. And, you know, we don't think the valuation is overly demanding here. So, you know, over time, we think this stock um, can trade upwards of 550. So, you know, we still we still like this one as a way to play that thing. Thanks very much for that, Sean. And Oscar, the next question is for you. This is from James. What are your views on best in foods? Yeah, thanks, James. Um, yeah, Beston. Uh, geez, how do you describe Beston over the last decade? It's been a perennial underperformer. Uh, it's been a shocker, really. Um, but, you know, we do love turnaround stories at Wilson Asset Management, and we saw an opportunity to buy shares. Um, they raised money um, in June 2020, uh, raised at around $0.09, cents, and that was versus its uh, net tangible assets, or NTA, which was valued at around $0.15, cents, so quite a substantial discount. The reason we participated in the raise was there was a new management team which was looking to expand their mozzarella and lactoferrin plants in South Australia. Um, and lactoferrin prices were very high at the time. So we, we saw an opportunity there for Besson to capitalise on that. Now, like a lot of companies through this period, you know, COVID's been tough on the business. There's no doubt about it. Um, Sean and I, um, and there's seen a number of issues with their, with their new plants. Um, Sean and I actually visited them when we couldn't back in April and they were back on track and had a, had a good finish to the year. So we're looking forward to this, this, this financial year to see the true earnings that this business will achieve uh, through the expansion. I think one other positive catalyst that occurred through the period as well is the management agreement that was um, set up for Best and Foods has actually been terminated as well. So the market can now value this company properly. Um, so we're actually quite positive on the outlook for the business. And I think it's just, again, like a number of companies has been impacted by COVID. And once we can get through this period, um, uh, we'll see the true earnings of the business. Thanks very much, Oscar. Um, and Sean, the next one is for you. This is from uh, Joe. So Joe says that he can see in the recent WAM microcap annual report that there's a small holding in Boss Energy. Um, so how do you see the uranium sector at the moment? It's had a really good run over the past few weeks. Um, and do you think that will play a role in the decarbonization of the global energy sector? So that's a really long question um, for your views on uranium. Oh, thanks, Olivia, and thanks, Joe. Good question. Um, yeah, look, I mean, true to our investment process, I mean, we've taken an active trading position um, in Boss Energy within WAM Microcap. Um, and we're also playing the uranium space through Paladin Energy and WAM Capital. So I guess the opportunity we saw in the short term was really around, you know, the financialization of the uranium market with the recent launch of the Sprott uh, Physical Uranium Trust in Canada, which I think was uh, just over two weeks ago. So this vehicle is effectively purchasing uranium daily um, in what is an illiquid physical spot market, you know, much like a traditional um, gold ETF, you know, but without um, without the liquidity. So, you know, given that the fundamental, um, you know, market is in a substantial supply deficit, um, you know, price discovery really is being accelerated. And we've actually seen, you know, prices rise over 25% um, since the launch of this vehicle. So, yeah, the spot the spot price does remain well below what we think is, I guess, the incentive price required for necessary mine restarts and new developments to, you know, effectively balance the market. So, you know, this cycle does appear as though it does have, you know, some way to go, at least in, in the short term. In terms of the longer term, yeah, I mean, we believe uranium can be viewed um, as a clean and green energy source. And, 
you know, we've been looking at markets like France, which appear to be leading the way in Europe and, you know, many other nations are following, um, you know, I suppose to see what, what potential impacts that will have in terms of reducing emissions. So, yeah, this is a space that, um, you know, we'll continue to continue to monitor and watch closely. Thanks very much for that, Sean. Uh, Sam, the next question is for you. Does WAM hold premium? Uh, that's PPS. That's from Adrian. Thanks, Adrian, and thanks for the question. Um, the microcap portfolio does have a holding in premium. Um, the company has emerged from a period of heavy investment in their technology and sales teams, which has driven a step change in their net inflow profile. Premium is trading at over a 50% discount to its peers' hub and net wealth, despite this accelerating growth profile. And the catalyst, in our view, to narrow that gap is the potential divestment of their UK business, and they've already announced a strategic review of that, which will highlight the profitability and growth of their Australian business. Thanks very much, Sam. Um, Oscar, the next one is for you. This is from Barry. Can you talk a little bit more about Expansive, which is that um, one of those pre-IPO opportunities that we showed on the slide previously? Yeah, th thanks again for the question. Yeah, we're very positive on this one. Um, we really like it. So we actually have a few shares in WAM Capital as well. Um, so effectively what these guys are doing, they've been around for a, for a while and it's hit the tipping point. So effectively they're trying to build the ASX, like a trading platform for carbon credits. Um, and it's the first of its kind, and they're going to do a number of acquisitions. Um, when we first participated in the pre-IPO, the first round, and they've just done a second round, uh, the first round of the business was valued at around $300 million US. Um, I think at the moment it's, it's on a run rate in terms of revenue of around $120 million already, and that's before they've deployed the proceeds from the, the, the recent capital raise. So um, they're looking to IPO uh, early next year, um, and given sort of its ESG, uh, the, the nature of the business, we think it'll, it'll demand quite a high valuation. So, yeah, very positive on that one. Thanks, Oscar. And, Sean, we've got um, a question from Alan here. Can you make any comment um, or provide your views on Reject Shopped um, and also Adair's? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, so um, as Oscar mentioned earlier, I mean, Adairs was one of our best-performing stocks in FY21. I mean, our investment thesis on that one was really predicated on Adairs being a, a strong beneficiary of the stay-at-home thematic throughout COVID. And I guess, you know, the strength of their omni-channel strategy with over 60 to 70% of their sales, I guess, generated online. So, um, you know, we did see the company deliver significant earnings upgrades throughout the course of FY21. Um, we're more cautious on this name now, really, as a result of, of the reverse in that, you know, we think as vaccination rates increase, people are going to get out, get out of their houses more. And you're going to see, you know, some of that spend that has been, you know, deployed into goods shift over to services. So, you know, the management team are great. They've got a strong balance sheet. We think acquisitions, um, you know, are a potential catalyst for that one. But, yeah, at this stage, um, you know, coming up against some very hard comps. So um, we're a little bit more cautious on that one. Um, the reject shop's sort of at the opposite end of the spectrum in the sense that, you know, they've been heavily impacted by COVID, um, you know, in terms of people just not wanting to get out there and in particular, you know, going to larger shopping centres and whatnot. So, you know, we actually see the reject shop as being a beneficiary of vaccination rates and the reopening. Um, and, you know, this business is, you know, getting towards the end of what we what we would term their fixed stage and is now looking for growth. Um, you know, it's about to undertake, a, you know, what we think can be a fair material store rollout program. Um, the balance sheet's very healthy. It's got $100 million of cash um, sitting there to to assist in these growth initiatives, and it's trading on three to four times um, EBIT. So, you know, we think that this, this business looks very cheap at, at current levels, and, you know, we think the outlook as as vaccination rates increase looks looks very good. So, yeah, we, we still really like this one. Thanks very much, Sean. And, Sam, the next question is for you. Uh, this is from Barvik. What are your views on cloud stocks? such as Macquarie Telecom Group and Unity Group? Definitely. Thanks for the question. And I'll take um, each of them separately. Um, so firstly, on Macquarie, Macquarie Telecom, we're quite attracted 
to the business despite the share um, price run that it's had. Macquarie Telecom is benefiting from a wave of demand for cloud computing and is actually uniquely positioned to service this from their Macquarie Park data center campus. The stock's trading on 10 times earnings, despite peers trading on over 35 times earnings. And we think the catalyst to, to closing that gap is really just an expansion of their data center business to become a more meaningful part of the overall group. And then um, secondly on Unity Group, um, UWL, uh, Unity Group is a holding within WAM Capital, WAM Active. We are very attracted to the business model, which was supercharged through the acquisition of Opticom. The strength of the business really is in their large contracted order book. I mean, put simply, if Unity Group added no further premises to their order book, they can more than double their earnings base over the next five years. So we're very attracted to that and I like both of them at this stage. Thanks very much for that, Sam. Um, Oscar, we'll ask you this final question before we pass back to Jeff um, to close. This one is from George. So can you make any comment on Wham's views on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? Yeah, look, look thanks, to, thanks to the question. And, um, you know, I don't want to scare everyone by the fact that we've got an investment in a in a company that will that effectively is leveraged to the Bitcoin price. I think first thing I'll say is, you know, we're not gonna, we're not experts on it. We don't pretend to be experts on it. Um, the reason why we got into Iris Energy is we firstly we back management and it's an infrastructure player. It's actually it's a very profitable business um, as it stands right now. So the Bitcoin price would have to fall to a very low levels for the business not to be profitable. Um, so you know, in terms of where market cap, we're not going to take um, positions on Bitcoin. Uh, or anything like that, and even in, with Iris, they, they don't either. Um, you know, they'll mine the Bitcoin and convert it to cash straight away, put it into the bank. So in terms of our view on the asset class, I think we're all, everyone's been sceptical on it. And, we, and we've been, I think we publicly said a few years ago we were too. Um, I think what's, you know, what we've seen over the last few years is that a number of corporates have really um, started to embrace it, some big companies, you're seeing investment banks as well, uh, promoted as an asset class. So, and it's been through a lot. Um, the asset class as a whole. So, look, it's, I want to reiterate, it's a very, very small position in the portfolio. Um, you know, there's some big valuation numbers that have been talked about with the, the current valuation. Things can change. Um, but, you know, if, if, you know, if, if the Bitcoin uh, price was to fall, or, you know, in terms of our exposure in where microcap is very, very, very low. So just want to assure everyone on the call that's, that's the case. Thanks very much for that, Oscar, and um, thank you to all of the guys for answering so many questions. We do have a lot of a lot more questions coming through. We will make sure to get back to all of you. We will call you or email you um, with a response, but we've got two minutes left, so I'll just pass back to Jeff um, and to Oscar to say some closing words. Thank you very much, uh, Olivia. Oscar, do you want to say your closing words first? Oh, I just like to, yeah, again, just thanks to everyone for their support. I mean, I couldn't believe it when Olivia said before there was over a thousand on the call today, and I can see all the questions that have come through. And sorry, we can't get them get through them all, so we'll, we'll endeavour to come back to you as soon as possible over this week and next uh, with 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 some answers. So apologies for that, but uh, again, thanks to everyone for for your support. Really appreciate it. That's right, and and just on that, yeah, yeah, thank you again to Oscar and. Yeah, you know, Oscar, Sean, you know, Sam, and Tobias, uh, and Olivia. Uh, thank you for everyone dialing in. You know, as I said at the start, yeah, you know, this is your company. So if anyone does have a question, yeah, you know, we will come back to you. If we don't come back to you, just send an email. Send, send an email to um, the, the info box and address it to me. So then, yeah, I, I I can sort of track it down. But I, I know where, yeah, you know, we're very good at. Yeah, you know, I mean, we pride ourselves on the ability to communicate um, with our shareholders. So please, you know, please um, you know, hold us to that. Uh, and any suggestions uh, or um, ideas of how we can improve uh, better things, you know, the in terms of the numbers that are called in for, for a a results call. You know, this is uh, you know, it's a record number. So thank you for that uh, support. Uh, and in terms of you know the recording. Today's call will be up on the website. You know, if, if anything about any of the companies you you you, you know, miss jotting down the exact details, you'll be able to hear it on the 
um, on that on the on our website. Um, if you if you're interested in being updated, please you know go onto the website and um, get our weekly updates. Uh, and and again, you know, on behalf of you know everyone at Wilson Asset Management, you know, thank you all for your support. Uh, and um, thank you. Good investing, and and stay safe.